From Palma de Mallorca to the global super yacht community. Super Yacht Radio. And welcome to Super Yacht Radio. We have a special guest on today to tell us a little bit more about what truly seems to us here as one of the new waves forward and most innovative waves forward of fueling, Star Trek on the water, isn't it? fueling our industry. We have the pleasure of Simon Briam from Lateral Naval Architects. Welcome, Simon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Thank you very much. Good to have you. So, Simon, I got to the pleasure of meeting you at Monaco Yacht Show, where you and uh, Synet Design had just launched a new concept boat called Aqua. Um, for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about Aqua to begin? Yeah, sure. So, uh, it's basically a um, 112-meter um, super yacht, uh, fully uh, designed to be without compromise, um, yeah, uh, um, a full super yacht, but also 100% fueled by um, green hydrogen. So uh, we're sort of, we're talking really about zero emissions and a zero carbon uh, emission yacht. Taking us a little bit more, when you say green hydrogen, what does that mean? Yeah, I think it's it's a really important distinction to make. Um, when we talk about green hydrogen, we're really talking about hydrogen that's being created from renewable energy. Uh, so we're not using any carbon uh, to create hydrogen. We're, we're basically talking about electrolyzing seawater uh, to make hydrogen from renewable power source. So we would imagine that this would be either a, a solar uh, park or a, a very large wind farm, uh, which creates electricity. This electricity is then fed into the grid and then can be moved to a... Um, electrolyzer which is uh, basically going to take your seawater split your seawater apart so h2 seawater is basically h2o so it's going to split the oxygen off and create hydrogen and then uh, then you basically have uh, green hydrogen that's being created from no other uh, source uh, other than uh, renewable energy okay and, and could i ask just you use seawater because there's electrolytes in it and that well, well generally, I think you you would uh, you would probably you know I think it makes sense to imagine for a for a sort of shipping application that your electrolysis unit be next to the sea and you'd use seawater. You can actually you would you actually purify the seawater to make it into fresh water for your electrolysis. So equally, um, you know, you can use uh, you know a large freshwater supply if you have a a large supply of fresh water as well. Okay. Um, but, but I think we kind of see that um, one of the aspects of uh, green hydrogen is um, you would probably have decentralized production and, and you want to put the production, the sources of hydrogen production close to where you're going to use it. So, so I think that's kind of how we would see the, the, f- the future of green hydrogen, really. So it's made at the marina or in that vicinity, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Or, or made in a port or, or mm-hmm. ma- you know, made in an industrial area where there's, where there's going to be plenty of requirements for uh, ships to, to, to hopefully use it. Well, would it be feasible, and I'm throwing this out of the blue at you, forgive me, would it be feasible, maybe not, not, with, maybe not with today's technology, but going forward, do you see this, where the boat can make its own hydrogen as it goes along? Yeah, no, I think it's great. I mean, lots of people uh, kind of sort of push that as the future. You know, and you have great projects like the Energy Observer project, which, um, uh, you know, if you've not seen it, definitely, you know, great one to look at. It's basically a, a small experimental catamaran that's sailing around the world and it's, it's making its hydrogen as it goes from uh, from solar solar power. Uh, so solar cells on the roof it make hydrogen and it electrolyzes it all on board and stores it. Uh, you know, that's a great concept, but the trouble is, uh, you know, for a super yacht, the power demands become so high 
that the amount of solar cells that you need to carry around <laughs> to generate your own hydrogen, you, you really becomes uh, unfeasible. You know, you end yeah. up carrying, uh, you know, it makes no sense to carry your own renewable power station around with you. Um, it makes more sense to use a big renewable power station on land uh, and, and effectively bunk yourself with hydrogen uh, yeah. rather than try and carry a renewable, um, you know, rather than carry a, a massive wind farm around with you or carry a massive of solar course. park around with you. The, the more of that you add, the more weight you add, the more energy you need to push that weight. Yeah, and I mean, the sheer scale yeah. of it, I mean, it's, you, you know, you probably need sort of 10 to 20,000 uh, square meters of solar farm to power something like Aqua. So, uh, you know, if you want to deploy this sort of thing everywhere you go, but I think you're going to be quite unpopular, um, you know, off, just off the coast of Monaco, deploying uh, 10,000 square meters of, uh, you know, high, um, solar 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 cells. You need to empty Porto uh, on a regular basis. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly, you know, there's certainly sort of uh, for smaller projects and for um, and, and for particular, um, I think there are particular applications where generating hydrogen on board will work and, and will be good. But but I think for a super yacht with a very large high power demand, mm-hmm. and ultimately, you know, it's a place to enjoy yourself. You know, you know, you want to be enjoying yourself on deck. You don't want to be sort of dodging around uh, solar cells. Mm-hmm. So for a super yacht, um, really it doesn't make sense to generate on board in, 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 in my mind at the moment, really. To create green hydrogen is actually a very inefficient process. So you, you, you probably think it's probably about a 20% efficiency from the amount of uh, energy you need to the actually getting the hydrogen you need to power the vessel. It's very, very inefficient, which means you need to create a lot of um, renewable electricity, yeah. which okay. means, again, you, know, so you end up with you, huge, huge well, solar cells. What you would be farm. generating would actually just be creating the whole thing. You wouldn't have actually... Well, just, I think it just yeah. becomes the, the, the size of the equipment you need to generate the renewable electricity becomes really difficult to fit or carry or, uh, you know, to, to, to otherwise have on a super yacht, really. You need a um, giant chase boat with a hose between you and it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the you know the chase boat would certainly be an interesting you know it's an interesting <laughs> concept uh, which we've been looking at. Uh, the chase boat would definitely be several order of magnitudes bigger than the uh, yacht itself. Yes. But maybe that's okay, you know. But um, certainly, we have some interesting ideas for how a uh, hydrogen mobile hydrogen uh, refueling station would look like. But it certainly doesn't look anything like a yacht, you know. More like an aircraft, an aircraft carrier, something of that nature. (laughs) Yeah, something of an unusual shape. I think is is kind of what you need. So you you probably need a very sort of unusually shaped multi-hull vessel uh, that's just covered in uh, in energy collecting devices. Really, Um, when you were designing for Aqua, uh, what made your technology slightly different to what's out there at the moment, and why did you need to convert it to something different? Well, I, I think we, we've really seen in the marketplace, uh, you know, a real demand from our clients for sustainability, um, for trying to do their bit for the environment, uh, trying to minimize the impact of, of, of their yachting. So, you, you know, we've definitely seen that this is a, a direction which um, the industry is going in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the same time, we've kind of also seen that generally in the wider marine industry, um, government regulations are, are pushing us to decarbonize. So uh, the IMO 2050 requirements to get rid of half the carbon from our shipping um, mean that, you know, in the next five years, we're going to face some pretty strict regulations about uh, use of carbon. Uh, and as an industry, the marine industry is, is really reacting to this. So we're starting to see products now in the market that allow you to use hydrogen. We're starting to see uh, a real drivers in the wider commercial industry to start thinking about hydrogen. 
Um, we're also seeing areas of the world which are banning carbon. So uh, in Norway from 2026, you won't be able to go into a, a UNESCO World Heritage Fjord uh, if you're uh, releasing carbon. So uh, again, was this huge driver for the cruise industry to develop zero carbon solutions. So I think the, the combination of a wider industry push uh, to, to develop hydrogen, our clients asking for it. And, and really that sort of led uh, both Sino um, and ourselves to the point where uh, we, we think that it's a good idea to, to really start, start talking seriously about carbon, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, seriously about hydrogen. So Sino came to us with a, with a fantastic uh, concept, um, which they wanted to realize as a hydrogen uh, yacht. And then we had um, actually a very uh, typical kind of super exchange between designers and engineers as we kind of fought over the best solutions and the best use of space. Um, and, and, and out of that was born the, the aqua concept, basically. Um, and when you're talking about space, I'm imagining that might have been one of the bigger hurdles because of needing to store and how you need to store hydrogen as well. It's not just a matter yes. of like what we traditionally think is gas bottles. There's temperature regulation necessary and pressure and size. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest challenge with hydrogen is, is how to store it. Uh, so, the, the, and there's loads of problems with this. The biggest problem is that it's actually... Um, uh, it's very voluminous, so uh, all the tanks you you need to store hydrogen are much, 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 much bigger, like sort of four to eight times bigger um, than diesel tanks. So um, the amount of space you need to give up on the ship uh, for for fuel storage is massively different. Um, and then there's challenges about where you can actually store the hydrogen um, uh, for all sorts of different reasons, where you can store the hydrogen on the vessel. So, you know, really, when you when you look at a hydrogen vessel, the the position of the tanks uh, of, and how you store it, they, those are really the, that's the, really the key the key design driver for a hydrogen powered yacht. Really, the considerations there is that for safety, for safety, or for weight dispersal, or uh, what's the, the kind of push to those considerations? Yeah, I mean, the, the main thing is, um, again, it a little bit depends on how you store hydrogen. So there's lots of different ways of storing uh, storing hydrogen. For the aqua concept, um, you know, and we consider at the moment the most sort of mature technology uh, is liquid hydrogen storage. Mm-hmm. So um, for this concept, you end up with a, a, um, a cryogenic fuel. So it's minus 253 degrees C. Um, so it has to be stored within um, uh, vacuum insulated tanks. The vacuum insulated tanks only come in a range of, there are design limitations about, about the shape and size of those tanks. So the, the, the shape, you, you get quite limited to the shape you have to, you have to work with. And then you have to work out the best way to fit that in, in the ship. Uh, and also you are, there are, there are no regulations for the carri- currently no regulations for the carriage of hydrogen on, on, board, a, on board a ship. So in the development of Aqua, um, you know, this is both a kind of a, a great thing because there's no real hard constraints, but also, uh, you know, it's, it's not really clear what the regulations are. No, you're kind so, of breaking ground on this, really, because, I mean, your concept is the first one I've seen with for a super yacht fueled by hydrogen. You don't yeah, have I mean, the, the, that many predecessors, I presume. To, to be fair, there's, there's there's a few others out there as well. Uh, you know, we're not the only ones. Um <laughs> Um, 
but but yeah, I mean, certainly we're probably the, the ones who are sort of um, most out there and most open about how we do it, I think, probably. Um, so, so in our in terms of how we approach Aqua, we approach Aqua in the same way that we would approach an LNG vessel. So uh, again, in the yachting world, we don't kind of tend to talk about LNG fuel very much um, because there's no real sort of requirement or driver to use it. But in the commercial world, uh, we have LNG um, passenger ships, passenger ferries, cruise ships. Um, and actually, LNG has many similarities uh, to uh, hydrogen. So it's a cryogenic fuel. It's stored at minus 180 degrees C. Uh, it's very flammable. Uh, it, has, it has a lot of similarities. So we basically, for Aqua, we've applied a similar rule set to how we would, if we were designing an LNG vessel. Uh, I think, you know, we would probably find that... Um, to take Aqua forward to the next stage, you would uh, do a very detailed has ID and and has op study uh, for the vessel, which um, would probably uh, push some interesting design changes uh, that relate specifically to hydrogen. One of the the concerns we've heard from a few people about hydrogen is um, when it mixes with oxygen, it uh, becomes potentially very explosive. Or it becomes water, so, <laughs> depending on what <laughs> ratio it's in. If you have a hull breach and, and it, it, it ignites, it has the potential to, to explode rather violently. Is this uh, something people should be concerned about? or? I, th- I think, to be honest, is, um, it's an interesting thing because whenever we do anything new, there's always a concern about safety, and, and rightly mm-hmm. so. So whenever we talk about batteries or hydrogen or anything, there's always a concern about safety because in, in many ways it's a little bit unknown. We're doing it for the first time. But a lot of the things we currently use on board of yachts are actually quite dangerous. So we have um, lots of diesel on board, which, you know, still to this day, Very flammable. we have diesel fire accidents. Mm-hmm. But we, as, a, as a whole, we've learned as an industry how to handle and, and safely deal with diesel fuel. Um, same with heli fuel and petrol on board yachts. So uh, gas fires, all these kind of things which are dangerous and flammable. Over the years, we've kind of learned often sort of maybe the hard way in a few times how to safely um, handle and deal with this with these dangerous substances so when we talk about new things uh, you know batteries LNG hydrogen uh, you know maybe other fuels they are um, they are also inherently dangerous but we don't quite have as much experience so they quite rightly scare people mm-hmm. um, but it, it's just really a case of doing the proper engineering to make sure they are safe Hydrogen is a flammable gas. Uh, you know, if, the, if you've seen the Hindenburg, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. it, it definitely can catch fire, you know, under the right circumstances. What you will find is it probably wouldn't kind of explode typically how you'd expect it to explode. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's more of a, uh, what you'd call a deflagration, but it, uh, it doesn't really explode like a Hollywood picture, uh, but, it, but it would still obviously be dangerous. Um, the fact it's a cryogenic fl- uh, liquid, you know, if, if minus 253 degrees C hits your hull, that's also bad news. So a lot of the safety measures are all focused on basically stopping those sort of things happening. Um, so the, the tanks have to be placed in a position in the hull where they're unlikely to be damaged. Uh, you have to make sure that in the event of some sort of overpressure accident, you can vent and disperse the gas uh, so it doesn't get ignited. You have double containment of pipes to make sure that, that these sort of gases don't get out where they shouldn't get out. Um, generally, there's, there's, there's lots of safety mechanisms which are kind of understood. Uh, you know, we're still developing the detailed rules and regulations to make sure this sort of stuff doesn't happen, really. Mm-hmm. Comforting. So, <laughs> d- just to throw out a- another um, kind of 
critique of particularly the the much more eco-conscious is talking about how we at the moment produce hydrogen how it the energy if you look at the whole life cycle of fuel from start to finish um, the how at the moment we are producing hydrogen because it's not coming from natural sources and what it takes to make it produce it transport it now uh, to be honest I, i think we could also have the same argument if you look at if we were just starting in the in the oil industry of what it would take energy-wise to create an oil drill and drill for oil and transport it and purify it and everything else. Um, how do you address that when people say, well, hydrogen is not necessarily the most eco-fuel? Well, it is, be- it's, it's green hydrogen, so it's made from... I think that's the, the key difference is, um, you know, when, mm. if you talk about... Um, how we produce hydrogen at the moment it, it's we it, w- when we look at this we have a, a phrase it's just well to prop so how much energy does it take to to uh, recover something from the ground till you get it till your propeller so oh, well to prop. Uh, if you look at sort of well to prop for kind of like a, a non-green hydrogen then yeah it, it is a terrible fuel to use um, so it's really key that we have green hydrogen and that that really is the key uh, and I, you know one of the biggest sort of problems with aqua and you know i think it's it's right to acknowledge as a problem is that there is no green hydrogen at the moment so within the world and and this is probably the sort of thing which will stop stops you immediately pressing go and building these things uh is there is no green hydrogen really in any meaningful quantity uh, created in the world today but is the technology but, there to do it do we know how yeah, to do it um, or we just need more yes, investment yeah, yeah. into plug, this plug segment? it into a wind farm so it's it's in a little bit of way it's it's, it's chicken and egg situation You know, do you have, uh, without any hydrogen ships, there's no demand for green hydrogen. Without any green hydrogen, there's no demand for ships. So, but what you can see is this is changing. So um, the key thing is, you know, we need lots of renewable energy and we need lots of renewable energy at a cheap price. So, I mean, for the first time uh, ever, I think, uh, I think last month in the UK, uh, offshore wind, uh, renewable wind energy was produced at the same cost as uh, fossil fuel. So we're kind of so over the course of four to five years, they've dropped their price by 30% uh, for offshore um, offshore renewable electricity in the UK. This mm. is going to be happening all over the world in all the other yeah. sources. So you can also see energy- UAE and and Morocco are building just enormous uh, solar farms. I mean, exactly. Yeah, thousands and, and, the, the and thousands of size of acres. the UK almost in Saudi. So, and there's there's several things that are important with that renewable uh, energy. One is, you you actually the key to making efficient renewable energy is to have a way of storing it. So, so you can match demand to supply if you like. There's lots of times with renewable energy where you're creating too much electricity, but then there's lots of times where you kind of uh, you're creating no electricity and you want to use it. So, one of the key uh, challenges for the renewable energy sector is to find a way to store this energy. Uh, so they can use batteries uh, or they can create hydrogen. Mm-hmm. So uh, what we're seeing is a large segments of the UK UK market uh, and, and also internationally uh, sort of pushing five, you know, they're pushing gigawatts of um, renewable generating capacity through to hydrogen production. So, we, you know, we're just seeing that set aside now that there's they're coming to these sort of agreements where, you know, X percentage of these wind farms will be dedicated to producing um, hydrogen. Uh, or we should, so, so we really are going to start to see it come. We're getting there. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and, and really are, are, are sort of, you know, there's a variety of predictions about when you might see this kind of technology mature and when you might start to see green hydrogen networks developing. Most uh, estimates would probably say around 2030 would be the kind of uh, when oh. you're going to start to see some of this stuff. Which, which is only um, in, you know, basically a decade away. Yeah, I mean, I think we'd like to say it's two yacht builds away. Uh, you know, the, yeah. for a build of a project like Aqua, uh, it's probably a, a you know a five-year project. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even from the owner's desire to start, maybe it's a six-year project. So, you know, really, there are also kind of some bullish kind of estimates that some green hydrogen may be available by 2025. So, you know, we're really sort of seeing the next generation of yachts. This is mm-hmm. kind of a, a key consideration. You know, that do you want to? Do you want to take the chance and jump in and maybe be at the front of this wave or or do you want to play it safe? Um, you know, and, and I think increasingly with the clientele we're seeing and the clients' requirements, we will see people who are willing to take a chance uh, yeah. um, uh, and take a sort of um, invest in some of this technology early to get ahead of the wave, I think. Well, we're also seeing you know, innovative ways. I mean, there's a guy... I think in China, um, where he's developed a process of uh, getting, I think, seawater or water and uh, putting small um, threads of crystal into it, a particular type of crystal that picks up on ambient sound from traffic. And when it vibrates, it separates hydrogen from the water and drives the car. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, we, we, we live yeah. in a time of fantastic innovation. There's a I mean, lot of experimentation um, going on at the moment. Yeah, I mean, the, the drive to decarbonize is, is really the, the, the single biggest thing which will affect all of our, you know, for an engineers and anyone involved in engineering today, this, this, is the, this is a really exciting time where we could see the world turned upside down in the next 10, 10 years, and, maybe. And I think also a lot of people um, are seeing potentially the amount of money that can be made out of green energy. And that's driving it as well, because there is a fortune to be made by somebody who comes up with you know, a solution that, that goes global. It's very disruptive. Yeah, there's a massive potential to heavily disrupt the, the global energy markets um, generally w- with all of this technology. Um, you know, and I think that sort of also appeals to a lot of uh, yacht clients, the you know, potential to, to kind of invest in something disruptive. Uh, yachts actually make kind of good test beds for a lot of this kind of do, technology. Do you because, remember disruptive you know, used to be a bad thing? I get sent home from school. <laughs> I get sent home from school with notes saying your your child is very disruptive in class. Today it's it's a cool thing to be. Yeah, yeah. I think most parents would be quite pleased if, uh, if they yeah, got that. My these son's days. a disruptor. <laughs> but uh, certainly, you know, at, at Monaco Yacht Show and and talking to a number of shipyards, they all very much deep in their ethos as as shipyards are pushing towards sustainability and there's a balance between what the owners are asking for but also as an industry it has very much become an important Mm. part of um, the majority of companies I've talked with in some way have been trying to push out either in design or even at yacht shows how they're doing yacht shows you know it's becoming pervasive and I think the more, to use the word, trendy it gets, you know, if we can make it trendy that your yacht is, is super green and the greener it is, in some ways, the better value you get. You're saving money and you also have that extra oomph, so to speak. Yeah, I think I think it's it's really, um, you know, like I say, because the marine industry itself is driving, um, you know, I think at the very large end of the market, if we're not careful, we will get caught in... Uh, the legislation which the IMO brings out in 2023, 
Um, so it's quite possible that we we might not have a choice. We we may we may have to go zero carbon or reduce carbon because uh, the regulations force us to. Um, like I say, I, I think every time you see an extinction rebellion protest, you can kind of see that public opinion, uh, you know, is 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 moving. Uh, and when that becomes when public opinion becomes political will, again, you'll see more um, more of a push for this. And, and I think that drives public perception of, of the guys uh, who, um, if, if the guy has, a, if, if the guys building these yachts have public personas, you know, they don't want to be the guys to be seen with the yeah. enormous um, energy intensive yacht. They want to be the guys seen with the with the with the with the with the green yacht pushing sustainable technology so you know it is very very real you know it's mm. it's it's both all the sort of political drivers all the industry drivers all of the um client drivers are, are, are really pushing us it's i think it's less option it's less of an option and more of a requirement yeah. these days really and uh, do you see hydrogen um moving into uh, into other sectors you know we, we've we've got the this foundation at the moment of looking at it for the superyacht industry do you see this going on to shipping or the motor industry or train do you yeah, see hydrogen being a fuel that will be as we develop it, it. Um, i think really we're, we're the probably, new big the, fuel, we're so probably the, tail, the tail end of it really actually i think mm-hmm. um the you know the automotive industry has been um playing with fuel cells um you know and, and uh Particularly, the Japanese manufacturers. Yeah, the Japanese economy is is, is really. Um, J- Japan would like to move to a hydrogen-based economy. Uh, so a lot of the Japanese car manufacturers have really invested heavily in this technology, and you see some. Uh, an interesting. It'd be interesting to see how those guys, the volume of the automotive industry and the volume of the fuel cells that these guys might produce will will undoubtedly change the the technology and the shape of other fuel cells uh, that we see from in other industries we see very you know in terms of um zero emission vehicles uh large vehicles like buses and trucks and uh are probably almost better served with hydrogen than they are batteries so we see a lot of those uh, in in use around the world there's a lot of hydrogen buses mm-hmm. there's a lot of um hydrogen trucks that are in service or being developed um, they're building hydrogen networks to support these and we're also um, we're also really seeing again because the IMO is going to push people to decarbonize. We're seeing the marine industry follows. So, I think the first people who probably would see this is are probably the cruise industry. Um, you know, they they really see that they need to get into fjords. Uh, they're constantly all of the uh, cruise companies are designing systems to enable them to visit zero carbon fjords from 2026. But we're also seeing a lot of uh, innovation in Norway. There's um, hydrogen-powered ferries that are being yes. built as pilot projects in Norway. Uh, and, you know, and again, I think you know we're all slightly on tenterhooks to see uh, how the regulations from 2023 from the IMO really affect us all. Um, but there, there will definitely be a, a driver for sort of um, sort of short-range and medium-sized vessels to use hydrogen. Uh, so ferries, sort short short sea shipping uh these kind it's of, not easy um, to say it's <laughs> very hard to say it's a tongue to, it's a heck of a, heck of a tongue twister um but these kind of vessels you know the medium size medium range vessels um really you know currently industry groups are predicting that that will be hydrogen is really uh, the, the right choice for those guys to decarbonize a little bit it's a little bit of financial so at the moment um using hydrogen as a fuel is much more expensive than using diesel so the only way that this is going to really take off is if that price levels out. And I think there's two ways that will happen. Is One, 
we start making renewable energy cheaper, we start making hydrogen cheaper because there's more demand for it. We scale up uh, our efforts to build to make more. And secondly, if we start taxing carbon in a much more aggressive uh, manner. Uh, so there's lots of uh, financial models which are constructed by numerous organizations around predicting at, w- at what point price of uh, hydrogen and, and diesel may break even. So basically um, bring down the price of hydrogen and increase the price of carbon. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, and, and that's what's leading people to this 2030 kind of um, date, magic date, if have you like. You, have you considered politics as a career? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it becomes a very political question, doesn't it? Really? It does, it's, really, uh, yeah. It, it's, uh, I think, you know, a lot of it is we can, we can, we can technically, we can achieve a lot. But really, it's it's where the political will and the is to do it or not really. Yeah, the guts. Um, and the th- more there's more to aqua than than just the hydrogen, uh, which before we run out of the show, I'd, I'd love to yeah, touch sure. on. Uh, the propulsion system is um, just before I get there. I'm looking at the drawing. I mean, I've been in many engine rooms and many yachts, and. I'm not seeing why we need an engineer on this. It, it's it's very <laughs> modular. It, it looks beautiful, actually. It looks like a Swedish home. Um, but you've, you've got the hydrogen, you've got the fuel cells. Presumably there's a box in the middle with the catalyst that creates the uh, electricity. From a, uh, like 112 meters, you traditionally what need a, probably a team of four engineers, three or four engineers on that. What's the engineering requirement on, on a boat like Aqua? I think you'd probably find it's very similar, actually. I one think, ETO? You know, <laughs> I think uh, you, the guys would probably, wouldn't be dealing less with oil, you know, so maybe they'd look a little bit cleaner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there'd still, be, there'd still be lots of things to fix and lots of things to maintain and watch for, yeah. uh, you know, on this kind of vessel. So, um, so yeah, they're slightly they're sort of cleaner fingernails. But other than that, I think you'd find the same, the same number of guys on board, probably. They can always um, get an old rag and just scruff themselves up to look yeah, like Yeah, exactly, if they feel they need to, need to <laughs> yeah. look a little bit oily. <laughs> so, um, on the propeller, the propulsion system, it's it made for very interesting reading. Uh, tell us about that, the innovations you've made. Yes, that one. so um, we talked about the disadvantage of hydrogen is that you need a lot of it, you know, and it becomes a problem. So really, you need to be very efficient. So we kind of have, um, so lateral kind of have a, a philosophy for this, which we call lateral futurology, which is also something we launched at Monaco. So, um, which really has three pillars of the, you know, our philosophy is on future is that the future is zero. The future is zero carbon. How are we going to get there? Um, and there's really three pillars to it. The first pillar is actually that maybe the yachts that need to be zero carbon won't look like the yachts that we look like today. So we need to think about the dimensions of the yachts and make sure that um, we're actually optimizing them for um, the carriage of uh, alternative fuels or for reduction of energy. So in this way, aqua is actually quite unusual, although it may not appear uh, obvious. Um, for the, her given volume and weight, she's very long. Mm-hmm. So actually what we've proven through some of our previous projects, such as Bravo Eugenia, uh, is that when you have these very long, long for, for, for a given uh, volume and weight vessels, they have a reduction in power of up to 30%. So straight away by making Aqua the right shape, if you like, and making her an unusual shape and unusual volume in the marketplace, we're saving 30% of fuel. So this is sort of a, it's almost, it's almost a free, free energy saving, if, as long as you're prepared to think differently. Is about that because the there's less, less drag on, on the... Uh, so, so basically the, the power of a yacht, this is a little bit of uh, naval architecture kind of boringness, but the, the, basically the power of a yacht depends on its length versus its displacement. Its displacement depends on how heavy it is, which is generally a, a, a measure of volume, mm-hmm. roughly. 
So uh, the, if, uh, if you keep the volume, of, if you increase the length of a yacht for, for the same volume, uh, you, you save energy. So typically, uh, for this kind of volume vessel, she would perhaps be 90-odd meters normally. So we're extending the length, and, and that really reduces the power of powering for the, uh, for the vessel dramatically. Um, so that's the sort of first pillar, which we call challenging the paradigm. So the paradigm is that the yacht would be 90 meters, but we're challenging it by making it a lot longer. What do you uh, sacrifice in doing that? There must be some sacrifice somewhere. I mean, just um, it, it sounds too easy. That if I take a night yeah, and stretch well, it, 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 like I say, it, it doesn't. Rooms and things don't look exactly like how you'd expect them to any yacht. Uh, there are some structural challenges in making uh, thin yachts like that so as the, well. The but, beam but, um, is less than it would be on a, a yeah. So, but 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 you know, it's we've sort of proven it. Uh, you know, it's a sort of fairly well proven sort of strategy for us now from from them. From the success of Bravo Eugenie, and then the sort of second pillar of our strategy is is really we're going to use uh, technology improvements. So this is the kind of stuff that really you see a lot from a lot of people. Um, you know, we're going to chip away and we're going to improve things. Um, you know, it would be arrogant for us to assume that we've perfected the perfect yacht, uh, that our propeller can't get any more efficient, uh, that we can't add any extra systems on board the yacht to make it more energy efficient, that we can't do anything better. But equally, these things are quite small. Mm -hmm. uh, so we like to see these as kind of uh, uh, marginal gains. So in the same way that the British cycling team uh, had a, a, a policy of basically looking at every single detail of the yacht, uh, every single detail of the cyclist and trying to um, make it better, every single little bit hardly made any difference. But if you added them all up together, it made a difference that it was the a gold accumulation medal. of the whole they, they even shave their legs so there's less <laughs> seriously they <laughs> shave not talking about that. just aside from the boat for a moment they yeah. shave their legs so there's been no shaving in lateral um, but, uh, but apart from that we're uh, we're uh, we've looked we, so we look at every single detail so in terms of aqua that's really looking at the propulsion system and the propeller Mm -hmm. So she has quite an innovative contra-rotating uh, two-shaft propeller. Oh, we say contra-rotating. Uh, so, so it's going so, the opposite uh, way to traditional propellers. Uh, so you have two propellers, one which rotates one way and one which rotates in the opposite direction. Ah, okay. And that actually um, makes quite a big difference to the um, transfer of, of um, uh, power. So it's, it becomes the propeller becomes quite efficient. And effectively, you're, you're sort of... Um, it's all about changing momentum of water, uh, and, it, and it means it's quite an effective propeller, which probably gives you sort of maybe five, six percent more efficiency. And then probably one of the more controversial aspects of Aqua is we've um, removed the rudders and replaced the rudders with uh, two Voith Snyder units, uh, which you sort of typically see these on tugs and small slow-speed ferries and the like. But actually, by removing the rudders, we remove a lot of drag. Uh, and instead, we're actually using the the, the thrust vectoring from the Voith Snyder units to provide mm. directional control. So they so again, redirect by, by the water and effectively yeah. the steerage. So by reducing this drag factor, we've again we've reduced the the power requirements for the vessel quite substantially. So all these little things they add up, uh, and we've obviously applied all our usual sort of technology of um, waste heat recovery. Um, effective HVAC and things like that to, to really minimize the amount of energy we use on, on board this vessel, really. So taking the rudder away gives you a 5% uh, benefit? Uh, I don't know if it's 5%, well, but it's, it's a substantial... You know, really if, you consider the, um, if you consider the single um, contra-rotating propeller 
uh, removing the, the rudder, you, you remove all these things underneath the bottom of the ship that cause drag. Yeah. So you don't have any propeller brackets, you don't um, shaft brackets, you don't have the shafts in the water, you uh, you don't have these big rudders dragging around. Um, so so by all taking all these sort of small measures, and each one in itself maybe is one or two percent, but if you add them all yeah, up, them up. Uh, it becomes a substantial um, reduction in in power. Wow. Out of interest for the 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 captain driving the ship, is it going to be a very different experience? Will he? Uh, uh, I, I don't know. Comparison it to cars, I guess an electric car is not necessarily different to a, a diesel car, but I'm just thinking with different propellers and stuff, are there going to be nuances that are going to be unique in driving this? I think, to be honest, after he's driven this, he probably wouldn't want to drive anything else <laughs> <laughs> because uh, the Voith Snyder is instantaneous um, vectoring of thrust. So it could it would be many it'd be the most maneuverable yacht on the market by a considerable way, um, you know even as even much better than Azipods because Azipods take time to rotate. With this, the captain could instantaneously direct thrust for exactly where he wants it. So slave speed maneuvering, uh, this vessel would be exceptional. Um, in terms of how he's just driving it along, um, it'd be very it would perform very much like a diesel electric yacht does now. Uh, feedback from the fleet is generally that people like the diesel electric yachts as well. They have very good um, pickup. Um, uh, you know, the, the torque characteristics of a diesel electric are, are, are quite good. So I don't think it'd be quite like a Tesla, but it would certainly be, um, you know, there would be no disadvantages to really uh, driving this vessel, only, only advantages really. Would it be any quieter? Would there be a noise difference? In- yeah, certainly. We've, I mean, we've, we've not done a detailed uh, noise analysis, but we know that, by removing the generators, we're going to lose a lot of noise. There's no generators. So, so uh, if the fuel cells um, are, you know, uh, you know, to all intents and purposes, is silent, uh, or we could make them silent. The propeller design, um, we would optimize in the usual way, um, and 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 this, the contra- single controtating prop allows a lot of potential again to to look at that and, and reduce that further. The voice sliders are considerably oversized to deliver good noise performance. Um, so, you know, we're, we're confident that this yacht would be probably, you know, the, one of the quietest yachts you could um, you could imagine at the moment. Interesting, because noise pollution isn't doesn't really get as much coverage. But when you look at the effect it has on marine life and whales, and you know, an, an explosion in Australia will reverberate and be heard, you know, in the North Atlantic. I'm wondering whether also noise pollution is going to be part of where we're looking as for um, designs. Yeah, it's. I mean, underwater radiated noise is a big is is becoming more of an issue. Um, there are sort of more boats, you know, attempts to sort of regulate it in some respects. Um, I think actually in many many ways the yacht industry uh, does quite well here because we are um, essentially, um, although we're trying to keep the noise uh, to the guest cabin low, um, that does mostly normally have the effect that the underwater radiated noise is also quite low. So I'm pretty sure that you know we would be. Um, with these kind of products, we would be, you know, some of the best in the in the marine industry for for these these kind of um, these products. Really, mm-hmm. have, have you put any consideration into the type of paint that you're using on the hull? 
for reduction. <laughs> no, because certain paints. He, he's an engineer. He's not the paint specialist. <laughs> but I'm there, sure there it's are, been there considered. Are, there, there are um, there, there are um, there are potential for sort of nano um, nano coating, hull coatings, and things which um, and advanced anti fouling, which which have uh, again, it's marginal gains. Um, mm-hmm. You know what you'll find with these is is um, you know it's a, the odd percentage point here and there. Um, we've not factored it into the design, but certainly you could, you could, you could, um, you could, you could use these sort of advances as they come up very readily. Yeah, and no, it's only only going to be a good thing. Because <laughs> I, uh, no, I only learned recently that um, depending on the kind of paint, it actually reduces drag if uh, you use certain ones. So I'm just throwing my yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the, like say that there's, there's a lot of um, options for you know these marginal gains and. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of out there, um, and they're all there to be explored and, and, and used. Really, um, we try and keep to our sort of. The, the, if we keep the, the core basis of design of the vessel um, pretty good and pretty pretty secure, then then if we use these, if we want to use these things, they're only going to help help yeah. things basically. Goodness, I have learned a lot this morning. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, I could I could talk all day on this, um, <laughs> and, and very happy to. <laughs> well, we can reschedule around you. I'm sure. <laughs> Simon, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I could I could sit here and talk about this all day. It's it's a phenomenal design. I love it, and I, I love. I'm looking 